1: Hello and welcome to our Tomorrow Ready series 2021. My name is Juliet Foster and I'm a broadcaster and journalist and also your host for today's event, A Sustainable Approach. It is a big subject, which is why we have an excellent lineup of speakers on hand to share valuable insights and discussions to bring our program to life and also to give your business a helping hand. So let's meet the panel because joining us, we have Philip Mitchell. Now, Philip is a consultant from Carbon Intelligence. Philip, it's good to see you. So if you can start by telling our audience a bit about you and what it is that you do.
2: Yes, hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Philip Mitchell. I'm a consultant at Carbon Intelligence. We're a consultancy of about 105 people that work with business to help them achieve net zero or set net zero strategies, better understand their carbon profile and generally uh, reduce their impact on the world. Uh, My background, I'm actually from finance, I've spent over 20 years in finance, both as an asset manager and as a equities broker. And the last five years, I've been working for the Swedish Pension Fund, which is right at the forefront in terms of sustainability, investing and implementing best practice when it comes to investing pension savers money. I've been at Carbon Intelligence for just over a year. Prior to that, I was also for a year at Bankers Without Boundaries, where we helped the EU implementing its Green Deal.
1: That's fantastic. Thank you so much. You're very busy. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Next up, we've got Michaela Wright. She's also very busy as well, because she is Head of Corporate Sustainability at HSBC UK. Michaela, you know what to do, so I'm going to sit back, tell the audience about your role and what you bring to the table.
0: Thank you, Julia. And, and yes, it's certainly getting busier. I think everybody can see the increased focus uh, around climate. But my role really is to help the business understand our sustainability strategy, interpret it and embed it into their business area. And, and so that's our focus around environmental and social. And the ambition of, of all of this is to build an, in, an inclusive, prosperous society and, and certainly a more sustainable future for all as well.
1: It sounds so easy when you put it like that, but it's obviously very hard work. But someone has to do it, Michaela. But look, let me start first with you because, okay, we're talking about sustainability and it does in itself represent a huge change in the conversation because once upon a time sustainability was seen as a very marginal thing but what has driven that increasing focus and how important was COVID-19 in really bringing some traction to the sustainability agenda
0: COVID has had an influence, but it started well before that. So I think if you go back to 2015 and we had the the Paris Agreement, so this, this was, you know, the 191 member states all agreed to keep temperatures well below the two degrees. And then that was followed by an intergovernmental panel on climate change that says we need to keep them at that 1.5. And that's when it started to hit the boardrooms. As governments started to make commitments, boardrooms started paying attention. In that same year, we had the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So people started to see the link and the interconnection of social and and climate issues. So, So they were the initial drivers. And then... People and businesses have started to see the increased physical risks of climate change. So that's the increased extreme weather events. So everything from droughts to forest fires and flooding, et cetera, which is really prevalent in the UK. On the back of all of that, you've seen all of these sort of civil and NGO actions. So everything from Extinction Rebellion, Black Lives Matters, Me Too. So we're seeing more calls for climate action and on inclusion issues and i thought what was interesting through the pandemic is organizations like black lives matters they they still came out in the midst of an, a, a pandemic fighting for social justice so so i think there's a, a real momentum that that is building around businesses role in society at large from a climate and social we also, throughout the pandemic, those businesses that have got strong ESG strategies, we're starting to see that they are performing better, they're more resilient as, as, as well to shock. So I think businesses seeing, actually, there is a real benefit to thinking about our social impacts and our environmental impacts as well. But you, your first point around, did it from a, 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 scene, a, a COVID uh, nineteen was was it beneficial? I think one thing that COVID did it actually delayed those climate talks that Andrew talked about. And, and you could think, oh, that's a negative. But actually, we've now got the U.S. back in the Paris Agreement. And we know Joe Biden has come in with some really strong commitments around cutting the U.S.'s emissions by 50 to 52 percent in the next 10 years. So I think I think that will put us in a stronger position come November. And, and whilst we did see some reductions from a, a CO2 during the, the pandemic, we have seen them jump back up as some areas have come out of lockdown, but it has evidence what is needed. So we talk about that over 50% in in the next 10 years, and that is at the levels of some of the lockdowns that we've seen. So there's a lot of work to do, but yeah, a a real mix of reactions. But I think business and wider society have now woken up to the fact that we we all need to play our part if we're gonna solve these global issues.
1: Mm, And that's the interesting point, isn't it, Philip? That once upon a time, society, business, Uh, environmental groups, they all seem to be coming at this from different objectives, different agendas. Now they're all working together. So what Nicola has given us is that crucible. But when we apply it to net zero, what exactly does that concept mean in reality? And why is it so crucial for businesses to get on board?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, uh, to describe net zero in a couple of bullet points is not easy, but effectively it's Uh, getting to a point where your annual net GHG emissions are zero uh, from a business. And this includes emissions from your scope one, two, and three, uh, which I don't want to go into too many details, but it basically means everything that you use directly in your business, but also everything that's entailed in, in producing that product or that service, both upstream and downstream. So it's not just the office that you use, But it's also, for example, what your suppliers use to get that product to your shop. It's what business travel you might use to go and see your clients. It's pretty much everything that can be associated with your product, scope one, two, and three, getting that to zero. It's called net zero rather than gross zero because some companies will need to buy offsets to achieve complete zero. We, as a consultancy, and there are certain target setting methodologies that try and limit the amount of offsets that you buy the the emphasis should definitely be on gross reduction rather than trying to pay someone else to take your carbon for you Uh, and but that's unfortunately unavoidable in some cases and hence why it's called net zero As to the second part of that question, why is it so important for business, I'd say there's probably three reasons. First of all, it's because business emits the most carbon. You know, if if we're going to have a serious impact on this, it's business that needs to take responsibility for it to stop global warming. I think the second reason is because business actually can enact change fairly swiftly. Uh, Having myself been involved with some uh, government-led initiatives abroad, where you're relying on goodwill and fairly bureaucratic processes, it can take a very, very long time to even make modest changes. Businesses tend to be more reactive and better at implementing change rapidly. But I think the third reason is becoming more important from a competitive point of view, and I think businesses are aware of that, that they need to get on board. Customers are more and more aware of global warming and the need for action and businesses that don't start getting uh, on board are gonna be left behind.
1: Mm. And certainly consumers are very mobilised because they're using social media if they feel perhaps that a, a, a company isn't as environmentally aware or as sustainable as it should be. They're certainly not afraid to, to let the rest of the world know that. But you know something, Philip, we can talk about setting realistic net zero targets. If I run a business where I'm actually sending people out on planes every few weeks, yes, I can cut that down and take it to Zoom. That's the best way, the most cost efficient and environmentally friendly way of holding those meetings. But realistically, how can businesses set good targets if they're to meet the net zero deadline, Mm -hmm. especially when they're at the beginning, a very early stage of that sustainability journey?
2: Yeah, no, it can be quite intimidating, especially for smaller businesses when there's uh, you know, a big question mark around cost and, and resource that would be involved. But the, the actual process itself is fairly formulaic um, in terms of what you need to do. And then the four stages of that would, first of all, you need to set your boundary and, and what we call a baseline. So you need to figure out exactly what emissions are gonna be included and, and what you are currently emitting. That that stage one is to understand where you are and what you're going to incorporate. The second stage is then to look at those reductions. You mentioned business travel. That, that's often a big one that companies look at. And of course, last year, they got a bit of a help with that one <laughs> um, due to COVID. But there's yeah, you need to start thinking about where you're going to make those reductions, what your alternatives are. And, and then the third one is removals. Are there areas that you could invest in sort of projects that you could invest in to to take some of those emissions out of your scope effectively. And finally, it's the timeline, you need to be realistic about how long this is going to take. I think everyone would like to think it could be done within five years. Realistically, we're looking at, you know, 10 to 15 plus for most businesses. And the important thing, of course, is that you don't set too ambitious targets that you then immediately miss where you then may suffer some reputational risk or people get dispirited, you need to make sure you build up to this at a realistic pace. And, and I, what I would definitely say is when you talk to people such as ourselves who are in this industry and some of the methodologies for target setting, it's it's very understanding that people are finding their feet and there is flexibility at the start to change some of these baselines if you find that there's other issues that need to be included. So you shouldn't feel like it's all set in stone right from the start.
1: And don't beat yourself up if you trip over at the first hurdle because it's natural to to get those missteps. But Michaela, come back into the conversations because, look, what Philip has said is that you have to be realistic. You also need to be flexible. But how do you think businesses can not just go about embedding sustainable practices, but also bring their team on board? Because there is that danger, isn't there, that you're going to have a very stunted business if only half the team understand what sustainability is and let's say the other half are a bit more sceptical.
0: Yeah, and I, I think we've experienced this as well, Juliet. So I, I think when businesses are starting to embed sustainability, it, it starts at, at the top and it, it's embedded in the strategy and your, your senior leaders, your CEOs are talking about the importance of sustainability and how it aligns with your strategy. But I think the engagement of all your employees, I, I think, can can be done in, in two ways. I think some of it requires some some formal learning around an education around climate change and around some of the big issues. So we, we have learning available through our on, online for all employees. And then we have some specific pathways for certain roles. So it's identifying who are the people and, and like for us within our commercial area, it's those that are speaking to our clients. So we have a sustainable finance ambassadors network that uh, provides them with professional learning as well so that they can talk to their clients about sustainability and and around sustainable finance. And then back to that sort of ground up and empowerment piece, we have uh, an ever increasing and growing climate action network. Um, And we've recently actually established a climate action network council. And these are all employees that are empowered to take action on climate change in their personal life and in their business life. So within the sphere of their influence, we ask them to think about the strategy and any gaps. I think there's an exception. There's, there's a lot of work to do here, but empowering employees means that you will move faster. So you, you set the strategy from the top and improve, in, increase capabilities, and then empower all, all your employees across the organisation to take action.
1: And that's a really interesting point, isn't it, Philip, about the idea of of empowering. So everybody is on this journey. They can really feel a part of it and that they are making a difference. So broadening that out, what are the options that businesses have to credibly achieve those net zero targets? Michaela's explained one, getting your staff on board. But beyond that, what else is there?
2: I suppose one way of answering that is to make sure that you're aligned with Uh, recognized methodology. It's not something where you can just sort of pluck numbers out of the air and and hope for the best. You need to probably take some guidance from either consultants such as ourselves or some of these government-sponsored partnerships. I know that there's a new Zero Carbon Business website that businesses can refer to where they get help. There are places out there where you can get advice on these issues. But I'd say to make sure it's really credible as well, Uh, I, I mentioned earlier that you need to include scope three, not just on your own direct emissions. I think when we hear people say that they're carbon neutral, We're instantly a bit skeptical about that because it tends to exclude a lot of the scope three issues that are still producing pollutants um, in in the rest of the environment. And as I said, I think to be credible, you also need to be realistic and make sure you set targets that are within your sort of uh, realistic bounds rather than trying to save the world in in an unrealistic timeframe.
1: Mm. Uh, Michaela, you know it's, it's it's a great concept and it's it's wonderful that uh, businesses are getting involved, joining the rest of society in that sense. But what are the opportunities around sustainability for corporates? But at the same time. What are the risks? I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, but there's no such thing as a free lunch.
0: Yeah, and I I think a few people have picked up on, uh, certainly, I'll I'll go to risks first, um, because I actually think there's more opportunities. But but reputational damage, as Philip's talking about there, you know, if, if you don't, set credible targets around this and and you make commitments that you can't achieve. So I think everybody is looking for just organisations to be transparent and to share their plans. um, And that's across all sustainability issues, but specifically on net zero and climate. I think you've got that risk then of either losing investors, not attracting employees, they don't want to work with you. And, and obviously that'll I think you mentioned Julia, you know, people can find out what's happening now. So so customers won't come to you as well if 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 you know you do anything that's not right in this area. The opportunities I think are are much bigger. And and I that's where done well, it'll increase your brand value, you will attract more customers, employees, but it will future proof your business. So so there's a bit and I, I think Andrew is talking about, you know, some some of these things might cost a little bit more in the short term, but longer term, it will reduce your costs. But you're also making your business more resilient. And I mentioned earlier that there is growing evidence that shows that companies with stronger environmental and social strategies are more resilient through times of shock as well. So, lots more benefits. And I'll finish. There's a Mark Carney quote around climate change. And and he, he quoted that businesses that ignore climate change will go bankrupt but points to the fact that those that take the lead will prosper and i, I genuinely believe that will be the case mm.
1: and, and Finu, come back into the conversation because whenever we talk about this issue you can't avoid referencing science-based targets now what exactly does that mean and why have they become so important
2: So just as a bit of background, Science-Based Targets Initiative is a joint venture between the WWF, the Carbon Disclosure Project, and the World Resource Institute. And it is uh, there to encourage a methodology that is consistent and sets uh, very definable targets for businesses wanting to get to net zero. It's called science based because according to science, we 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 need to limit warming to less than two degrees above industrial revolution levels. So it's not as if the process itself is particularly scientific, it's just the name, which is perhaps slightly misleading for people. It's a way of uh, making sure that companies can also validate their targets in a way that, it, and, and set strategies that are consistent with the goals of, of the Paris Agreement. It is growing fast. There's more than 10 companies a week setting science-based targets in the world. Uh, we've set a lot of them in the UK. The We recently saw, I think two weeks ago in California, they were attempting to pass a law which would actually make any company with over a billion dollars of revenue obligatory to set a science-based target, which I think is, is a recognition of just how people uh, uh, admire this process and realize it is kind of the gold standard within net zero target setting. And I mean, in terms of a couple of the characteristics that really make it set out stand out, I'd say it does include scope three, which as you've heard from me is important. It's also includes annual assessments versus your plan. So you can't just say, We'll do this in five years, and then see how we get. You know, after four and a half years, we all know like we all know how people like to leave it to the last minute. This in- ensures that you you check annually how your progress is going, and it minimises offsets. These are really you know, offsetting is considered um, the last resort, and they would much rather you focus on reductions. What I would also point out is, I mean, this sounds like a complicated process, and partly because of the name, science based but they are very keen to get um, small and medium-sized businesses on board as well. And on the SBTI website, there is actually a section describing the process for SMEs, which is very light touch at the start and encourages you to to, to build up this disclosure over time. Importantly, because of scope three, including your suppliers, it also means SMEs are more likely to be included as suppliers to larger organizations. It's considered a a kind of virtual circle that if, if, a big company setting an SBT is more likely to use a smaller supplier that also has an SBT. So there's definitely a win-win in terms of smaller businesses looking to these as well.
1: Sure, and what this tells us is is the way that this whole conversation around corporates and sustainability has evolved. And taking that, Michaela, if if we continue to project into the future, what developments do you think we're likely to see around sustainability? We've got the COP26 on the horizon. As Andrew pointed out, we've just come out of the G7, which was important geopolitically, but in terms of reinforcing the environmental message and countries working together to hit those targets.
0: I think Philip mentioned science-based targets, but I think common global metrics and standards around monitoring sustainable finance, I think, will be absolutely key. So, so ensuring that um, whatever we claim is sustainable and green is sustainable and green. So, um, and and our CEO is leading on the Sustainable Markets Initiative launched by H- HRH uh, Prince of Wales as well. So, and that is all around getting that classification system in in globally which is so important the uk government have established a green technical advisory group as well again sort of supporting that green taxonomy but i think we can really expect with the uk hosting cop 26 and, and given their leadership, so we heard the 78% by 2035 emissions reduction, that's actually 68% by 2030, that the UK government will be calling on all businesses, as Andrew talked about, to either, if you're a large corporate, to sign up to the UN race to zero. If you're a smaller corporate, they've got that SME commitment that you talked about. So less than 500 employees, that's the net zero before 2050 target and have your emissions by 2030. And I think finally, just I I think there's going to be growing scrutiny over any of these targets. So we've seen a few media reports recently. So I I think it's important to be realistic in in when you're setting your ambition. But I definitely think that there will be certainly a a bigger focus from from the government, but from your customers and and potentially your employees to hear about your net zero strategy
1: as well sure i mean look it's a challenge but it's also a very rewarding journey and that's something which has come out in the conversation that i've had with both of you but philip can i put put this to you the final point of this session but what advice would you give to businesses that want to become more sustainable and the big ambition is to set these net zero targets within a reasonable span of time so that they can actually hit that 2050 deadline
2: I suppose my, my biggest advice would be that you have to focus on all the benefits. I think, I think a lot of people, when they approach it at the start, they think of the cost and they think of that resource, but there is so much more evidence now than there was even five years ago of the benefits to a business in terms of uh, superior revenue growth, uh, Michaela mentioned reduced risk. And yeah, this is something that everyone's going to have to be reporting on soon with the TCFD. Is is you know your your risks, you will lower your costs in most cases. Uh, you may not in year one with the investment, but you'll lower your costs. Uh, employee retention should hopefully improve. We're seeing more and more clients thanks to instituting the, the kind of the process around this. It actually helps develop uh, innovation throughout the business as well. It it kind of opens up more and more of the staff to creative thinking and finding innovative solutions, which can only be good in terms of the long-term growth of a business. So I think that's the important thing at the start, is, is rather than focusing on the year one headache and data transfer and collecting bills from your utility partners, it's just focusing on those benefits to come.
1: Okay, so some sound advice. Okay, both of you, thank you so much for this. I mean, we've only managed to get through some of the questions. So thank you so much for that. We appreciate your time. And hopefully we'll see you again in the not too distant future. But thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us for HSBC Talks Business. To learn more about anything you heard today, please visit business.hsbc.com.